All right. Well, checks in the mail, Greg. <laughs> it is uh, an honor to be with you this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to read the word, then pray, then I'll do a little chit-chat, and then we'll go into the word, and I'll share a few things with you. I'm going to be reading from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through verse 8. Would you look there with me? The word of God reads, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word today and the opportunity that you have given to me to be with friends today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So as I mentioned, I'm, I'm honored to be here today. I love your pastor. I've known Pastor Aaron for, I was thinking about this over the weekend, about 13 years. Uh, we didn't actually grow up together, but we've known each other for quite a long time. And when he asked me to come, I was really honored. It's interesting because um, I used to serve on staff at Cornerstone, used to live kind of pretty close to the Madison area, and I've never been to the church. This is my first time to church at Indian Lake. So thank you all for having me. The staff here has been tremendous. Uh, during the time that your pastor has been on sabbatical, uh, communicating with me, making sure that I knew and had everything that I needed. So kudos to Chip and to Greg and to Cody and to, is Corey in the room? No. Okay. So uh, he or she, I, I, she, okay, we didn't speak over the phone. We were communicating by email, but she was awesome, making sure that I had everything that I needed as well. I want to commend you as a church. There's very few churches, and you will be amazed, there's very few churches that will allow their pastor not only to take a vacation, but to take a sabbatical, and a real sabbatical that's more than a week. So kudos to you all. Thank you for loving my friend that much. All right, so I need to lay some ground rules, okay? I like interaction. I walk around. I use my hands. So if you're not used to that, I'm giving you fair warning. I like a good amen, a hanky in the air, you know. All of that is per permitted today. But let's get into the Word of God. So here in the book of Micah, Micah is probably one of those books you don't read very often. It takes you a minute to find it. It's kind of hidden in the Old Testament, but Micah is a wonderful book because we can learn what God wants from us as Christians, as believers. I want to draw your attention back to one particular phrase in that passage that we read from Micah chapter 6, looking there at the beginning of verse 7. Now, I'm a teacher by nature. I cut my teeth in ministry teaching, 
So I teach a lot. Uh, I don't hoop. I don't holler. I don't do any of that stuff. I'll get into preaching mode and come back into teaching mode. So if I shift gears on you, it's okay. All right? So here in verse 7, look at this beginning phrase that we see here. Oh, I forgot to mention, I saw Gail. I saw Gail this morning. Gail is like Moses on the mountain. Gail is my friend. I have known Gail for a long time, longer than I've known Pastor Aaron. And Gail, Gail, are you in the room? She's back there. Y'all take good care of sweet Gail. Take care of her. So notice this phrase in verse number seven. Will the Lord be pleased? And then we're going to come back to the rest of what Micah says here. Will the Lord be pleased? It sounds kind of old-fashioned and antiquated, out of date, that we would even consider what it would take to please God. It's almost something that we don't even think about anymore in our everyday life in 2019 when we're making decisions, when we're considering what options uh, to choose that are before us. But Michael reminds us that it's important for us to take time to ask God, to seek God's guidance on what pleases him. So Micah was this prophet, this Old Testament prophet, and Micah lived during the time of the prophet Isaiah. He also lived during the kingship of King uh, Ahaz and also Hezekiah. Unlike Isaiah, who was born into a noble family and had direct access to kings, he prophesied and spoke, in, spoke into the ears of kings directly, Michael was from a small community that was 20 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, his audience typically were farmers and shepherds, just common folks. But for some reason, God chose to call this small town prophet to speak to the nations. Now, the first key that I want to present to you when it comes to pleasing God is to just be yourself. Even though Isaiah was also prophesying at the same time as Micah, God found it necessary to call Micah from the backwoods to speak a prophetic word to the nation. So when you're trying to figure out how do I do life, how do I please God, just be yourself. Be who God made you to be. Stop trying to imitate and, and be like other people. God made you wonderfully, creatively, and uniquely yourself. Just be yourself. That's all Micah could do. Micah could only be himself. And so Micah was sent to the nations, and the message that God gave to Micah to speak to the nation of Judah was that there is no one like our God. You read the book of Micah. There's only seven chapters, so it's an easy read. But the theme, the thread that is woven throughout the book of Micah is this theme, this overarching theme that there's no one like our God. Now, that's important to know because the situation in which Micah was sent into was a bad situation in the nation of Judah. Judah was God's nation, but they really were not living as God's people. Yeah, they, they did all of the ceremonial and outside things that would make them look like the nation of God, the people of God. But they were, they were hypocrites in their worship. They were wanting a little bit of God and a whole lot of the world. 
They didn't want to say, we don't believe in God, but they didn't want to totally do everything that God required of them to do. And so God sends Micah to this nation who was pretending to be religious. And we know that there's a challenge in trying to do two things at once. A lot of us like to multitask. We like to do certain things and a multitude of things. But Jesus tells us when it comes to service, when it comes to worship, when it comes to who and what we believe in, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it like Burger King. You can't get it your way. Because Jesus says in the gospel, no one can serve two masters. You're going to either love the one and hate the other or cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. And this is the message that God gave Micah to speak to the kingdom of Judah. So in, verse, in chapter 6, the chapter that we read from when we first started here, Micah is telling us in chapter 6 that God, has, God has, a, has an issue with the nation of Judah. And what is this issue that God has with the nation of Judah? God says, I want to I contend with you. I, I, have a, I have a complaint about you. And that complaint we find in verse 3 of chapter 6 where God says, how have I worried you? God is telling the nation, what have I done that has caused you to be prostituting yourself out to the world? What have I done so wrong to you that I am not enough for you, that you want to have me on Sunday and the world Saturday through Friday? What, what's, what's going on here, God is saying? What have I done to make you make this decision, this willful decision to try to serve two gods? And notice what Micah begins to say. And we read it when we started this morning, beginning in verse 6. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before the high God. He begins to talk about worship. God is saying, what have I done wrong? Plead your case. Tell me where I've offended you, what I have not done for you. I brought you out of Egypt. I've rescued you. What else can I do for you that will make you love me and me alone? Then Micah goes right into this, how do I come to a God that has done everything for me? How do I bring and what should I bring to God? God loves worship. Do you know that? And even deeper than that, God loves your worship. You know, if all of us were in here raising our hands and praising God, that would be good. But if you were not part of that process with us, God would not be satisfied because God loves your worship. He loves my worship. He loves our voices. But how do we properly worship God? That's the question that Micah is presenting to us in chapter 6. With what shall I bring before the Lord when I bow down before him? Notice what Micah says here in chapter 6. He gives us a list of things that maybe we should bring to God when we come to worship. He begins here in verse number 6. He says, shall I come before the Lord with burnt offerings? Shall I bring the Lord a calf, a cow that's one year old, will the Lord be pleased if I bring to him a thousand rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? When I was reading this passage, I, I noticed something about what Micah is doing. These four things that he lists, the burnt offering, the calves, the rams, and the oil 
were all things that God commanded the children of Israel to bring to his house when they came to worship. All of those things were good things, appropriate things. God ordained things to bring. Are you with me? Make sure that you're awake now. If your shoes are too tight, you can loosen them up, right? So Micah says, should I bring those things that God has commanded us to bring? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Those are good things that we should bring to God. But Micah is making a point because he gets extravagant. He goes overboard with these things. Should I bring the Lord a thousand rams? Should I bring him 10,000 rivers of oil? Is there enough stuff that I can bring to God to make my worship be received from him? I think Micah is getting to a point that we need to understand here. I think he's digging deep. And the, and the point is, is that there is no substitute for true worship. Even with your tithes and offerings, even with your service inside of the church, those things are good, but they are not totally adequate when it comes to true worship. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 42 where Isaiah says, the Lord said, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to the carven images. God says, I'm not sharing my praise with anything. I'm not giving my glory over to anyone. And Jesus expounds on that same thought in John chapter 4 when he says, listen, God is a spirit. This is the story where he's speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, right? He speaks this, he drops this nugget into her heart and she realizes that, you know, something is different about this man. And she says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and we worship on this mountain and you worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? There's coming a day where it doesn't matter where you worship, on that mountain or in Jerusalem. Because what God is really looking for is not where we worship, but how we worship. That's good teaching right there. How we worship. And then he, he says, God is a spirit. And those that worship God must worship him in spirit. You know the rest of it? And truth. That is how we worship God. And when we're reading the book of Micah, and Micah is listing all of these ordained things that God tells the children to bring to the temple, to the tabernacle, God is wanting more. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I believe that scripture is going to be up on the screen. We're going to look at that. Here's a story of, of, of Saul, the first king over the nation of Israel. And it says here, and Saul said to Samuel, well, let me set this up a little bit. God tells Saul, the king, to go and to fight against the Amalekites, to go and to destroy, totally destroy everything. Don't leave anything alive. But, of course, they didn't do that. They held back the good things. They captured the king. Instead of killing him, they just put him in bondage. And then Samuel comes and finds out what they have done. And this is where the story picks up. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agar, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, Saul knew, right? To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, the prophet, to the king, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings? Remember the burnt offerings that Micah talked about? Does the Lord have as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fed of rams. Here it is that Saul thought because the people were sacrificing those good things that they kept, that God was going to be okay with it. But God sent Samuel the prophet to say, I didn't tell you to bring me that stuff. Sometimes we think bringing God stuff will appease him. God doesn't need our stuff. Should we bring God our stuff? Yes, because in the end it belongs to him. But when we bring God our stuff and not ourselves, God doesn't receive it. And so is it going to be our way or is it going to be God's way? I was really struggling with this sermon because I'm like, Lord, this is the first time they've heard me preach and I want a real warm and kumbaya message, you know. And this is the one he laid on my heart. Is it going to be my way or is it going to be God's way? There's a scripture that you're going to see on the screen also coming from Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. Here's the problem with trying to live life our way. This is the problem. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And then you have that word but. You know there's a problem, right? Every way in a man's Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. On my good day, when I'm really spiritual, when I haven't cussed or lied or cheated, on my good day, I still don't see clearly. When I, when I have been praying and fasting and going to church and paying my tithes, when I'm doing really good, I still don't see clearly. In my perception, I'm living a good life. I think I'm crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But what I have to remind myself that even on my good day, I don't see clearly. Every way in a, in a man's own life, he sees it, or woman, he sees it or she sees it as being okay. But the Lord weighs the what? He weighs our hearts. So when I'm coming to church and being a good pastor and being a good husband and being a good dad, that's all good. But the Lord is looking at my motivation for doing that. He's looking deeper than my, than my outward actions. He's looking at my heart. Because out of the heart, the Bible says, comes the issues of life. Everything precious is in the heart. Everything that is sacred is in the heart. So the Lord is getting at our heart. So Micah is going to help us to find out what we should bring to God. If the thousand rams don't do it, if the 10,000 rivers of oil is not enough for God, what else can I do? What else can we do? What else can we bring to God that would please him? Notice what Micah says here. Verse 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. He has shown you, O oh woman, what is good. He has shown you, church family, what is good. 
And what Micah is saying is, we are without excuse. We're not trying to figure out, groping in the dark, what it is we're supposed to do to please God. God has shown us what pleases him and what is good. I struggled with that statement this, uh, this weekend. I was looking at that verse. God has shown us what is good. Do you know what that means? That means that if there is a certain absolute good, does that mean that there has to be an opposite of that? You mean that in 2019, there are things that are absolutely good and some things that are not absolutely good. In 2019, you're telling me that some things people do are not good? You're meaning that I, I don't have a choice how I live my life. I don't get to call everything good. It's, it's a hard thing to, to deal with that. God is saying, man, he has shown you what is good in life. And so when we try to figure out, do I do my own thing when it's opposite of what God tells me to do? The answer should be no. Because God says, my way is the good way. And sometimes what I think is good is not good. And so here's what Micah goes on to say. Oh, man of God, this is what the Lord requires. What does the Lord require? Three things here. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you want to cliff note it, if you want to go right to the end of the book, how do we please God? We do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. What does it mean to do justly? What is justly? What is just? Just means rightness, fairness. Do what is right. Do what is fair. Do you know justice is dormant? Rightness and fairness is dormant. It doesn't become active until you act upon it. He didn't tell us to love justice like he tells us to love mercy, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. But he tells us to do justly. Justice is dormant until we put justice into action. Rightness and fairness. And then he tells us there's a passage, and I'm going to, I, I had a lot of scripture today, and I realized I had too much scripture today. But there's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And it talks about when God tells the children of Israel to choose judges, Judges who will not pervert the justice, who will not take bribes, who would do that which is altogether just. I looked at that passage, and I mean, and I asked God, what is altogether just? My, my, my right may not be that person's right. My standard of justice may not be that standard, that person's standard of justice. You know, I may want my, 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 my pound of flesh in this other person may think that I'm out of my mind. So who gets to choose what's right? Who makes the laws here? God tells the children of Israel in the Old Testament and Jesus tells us in the New Testament that there's only one just. There's none righteous. None, no, not one. 
So we don't get to make the rules. You know why? Because there's a way that seems right, but the end of that is the way of death. God is the only one who's able to see clearly what the right is. But God says for us to do justice. But how do we do justice? How do we know what's right and wrong and how do we act upon that? How do we act on that? He tells us, secondly, love mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is goodness and kindness. God says, don't, you don't know how to do justly until you love mercy. Because we want justice when we are wrong, but we don't want justice when we do wrong. When someone offends me and does wrong to me, I want justice. But when I do wrong, I don't want justice. You know what I want? I want mercy. I, you know, I, I want to be, that makes sense. Uh-huh. I want mercy when I'm wrong, but when someone, when you do wrong, I want justice. When you step over my property line, I want justice. So God says, don't live just in justice. Do justly, but love mercy. There's a wonderful passage in the Bible, and it's found in Psalms chapter 85, and I'm going to ask them to put this verse up there. Listen to what it says. It says, mercy and truth have met. Isn't that beautiful? You know, if you have a visual mind, you know, you just see two people, one called mercy, one called truth. Mercy and truth have met. First date. Blind date. Mercy and truth have met. Righteousness and peace, they have kissed. Isn't that beautiful? You know, you need to not be so bitter all the time, grouchy all the time, mad about everything. You need to let mercy and truth meet and righteousness and peace kiss. They need to fall in love with each other. You know, justice needs mercy, and mercy needs justice. You can't be all justice, nor can you be all mercy. You need to be kind of right in the middle. When mercy and justice have a baby, that's what you need right there. Isn't that good? <laughs> Righteousness and peace have kiss. So love mercy. Let me ask you a question. Which of us is found totally innocent before God in our own righteousness? Which one of us? Who's totally innocent? Who's perfect in this room? None of us. So can you give a little mercy to me? On my best day, I still miss it. So when someone else misses it, can I give them a little mercy? Do they need a little mercy like I need a little mercy? Absolutely. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, 43 and 45, that verse will be on those verses on the screen as well. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what, that's what you've heard. That's what, they were, that's what they were taught. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That sounds fair, right? Doesn't that sound just? Right? I mean, it does to me on some days. If you treat me good, I treat you good. If you treat me badly, I treat you badly. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Can you do that? That's hard to do, right? Do good to those who hate you. That's hard to do too. Pray for those who, who spitefully use you and they don't just spitefully use you and they persecute you. That's hard to do. Why do I do that? That you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes, I want, so do this because I want you to be like God. 
Because God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Let me tell you what, loving mercy, living that out is hard. When people despitefully use you, cuss you out, steal from you, lie about you, it's hard to be merciful. But Jesus said, do it. Because when you do it, you are acting like the sons and daughters of God. Because God lets the sun shine and tan the skin of the just and the unjust. God allows the rain to fall on the crazy man's field and the godly man's field. Because God operates in mercy. Aren't you glad that God is not just the God of justice, but he's also the God of mercy? Last thing that Micah says here that we should do that God requires is to walk humbly with our God. And he doesn't just say with our God. He says walk humbly with your God. The word, the image here given here with using the word walk means uh, to take a journey with, to go with, or to come with. Walk humbly with God. How can I give mercy and how can I do justly? I do that, I'm able to do that when I walk humbly with God. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can you stay in a marriage for a long time if you don't at least sometimes agree on something? If you argue all the time, who wants that? Can two walk together unless they agree? But it tells us to walk humbly with God. Do you always agree with God? Now, it's just us in the room, just me and you. <laughs> Nobody, no one has to realize. Sometimes I don't agree with God. But Amos tells me that for two to be able to walk together, they have to agree. So Micah says, this is what God requires. Do justly. Treat people right. Love mercy. Forgive people and forgive yourself. And walk humbly with your God. Walk with God and realize he's going to say some things you don't like. Get over it. Realize that God's going to ask you to do things you don't like. Get over it. Because there's one person in that relationship that, is, that has to change. And it's not God. <laughs> so walk humbly with God. What does it mean to be humble? It means to be teachable. It means to be pliable. It means to be flexible. You did not create the world, and you don't know all of the answers. But God does. And when you walk with him, he will show you the right way, the good way. And when he shows us his way that is different from our way, we humbly submit ourselves to God. So let me take that list of requirements and work it backwards. Micah said, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. How can I do that? By walking humbly with God, loving mercy, which will allow me to be able to do justly in my life. Last verse that I want to leave with you this morning. Hopefully I haven't talked too long for you. 
is a verse found in Proverbs chapter 16. Now, this one is not on the screen. I did not send this one in. Sorry, guys. But if you have your phones or your Bible, would you turn there with me? Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to look at one verse. Why should I go through all of the hard work, the headache, that's required for me to do those things that Micah lists in chapter 6? Why should I even try? Why should I make the effort to change? They say it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Why should I even change? Listen to this blessing that we find in verse 7. We've been talking about what does it take to please God. Verse 7 says, when a man's or woman's ways please the Lord, when that happens, he will make even his enemies be at peace with him. When your ways please the Lord, He'll make mercy easy for you. Because the enemies that you need to be merciful towards, God will put mercy in their hearts for you. So we're a little bit selfish when we go about pleasing the Lord. It honors him, but at the end of the day, it blesses us. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. And as you're standing, we're going to just take a moment to pray. I'm not sure exactly how that message rested on your heart this morning. May have been very relevant. Maybe you're trying to connect the dots to see kind of what does that mean for me. I pray this morning that as we all examine our lives, we're looking at those areas where we're just bringing stuff, we're just showing up. But our ourselves, our person, our spirit is not present where our bodies are. But when we worship God, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you that you remind us that you love us, and it is your great desire to be able to tell us, well done, to be pleased with our lives. Thank you for my brothers and sisters for their time, their attentiveness today. And I pray that, Lord, as your Holy Spirit is present in this room, he is the one that does not condemn us, but he convicts us of those things that you want to make new that you want to replace so Holy Spirit would you come today and take that seed of God's word that was given to us may it be planted deep within our hearts and over time may you send people and situations to water that seed and May that, may that seed take root and grow and bear fruit 
that will bring glory to your name. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the great work that you are doing in and through the people that make up this family of God. Thank you for my brother. Thank you for Pastor Aaron and his family. I pray, God, that in each and every home represented in this service today, you see the needs, you know the circumstances that they are facing. May you bless them, Lord, exceedingly abundantly above anything that they can ask or imagine. And the reason why you will do that, God, is because you are pleased with them. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name.